season two of the JKR podcast powered by Black Cobra Sports. My name is Jay Shriglin and I'm the host. Let's dig into today's episode after a word from our sponsor. Today's episode sponsor is Mind Baseball, located in Dallas, Texas. Their bats are made from 100% European beech wood, which allows for more density, which then leads to more power. I mean, who doesn't want more power? We all know chicks dig the long ball. Multiple studies prove that beech outperforms maple, birch, and ash that you're probably used to swinging. Beech wood straight grains mean for less breaks, and mine baseball exceeds the MLB regulations in that category. Are you also frustrated with seeing the dried paint spots on your barrel? Mine Baseball uses a family secret technique that leaves a perfect finish every time. If you set their bat next to another brand, you will make sure that you see the difference. Lastly, they also use a built-in grip to reduce vibrations. It is the same technology that is used to reduce recoil in rifles. Make sure to check them out. Go find them on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. Um, on Instagram, their username is at mine, M-I-N-E, baseball. Check them out, but let's dig into today's episode. And welcome back to the JKR podcast. Today, we have director of operations for artillery baseball and the owner of PRD baseball. We got Pat Gironi on the JKR podcast for the artillery baseball series powered by hit RX. Pat, super pumped to get you on the show to spotlight PRD baseball spotlight artillery. How are you doing today? Good, Jace. Hanging in, man. Awesome. All right. So before we dig into, you know, your coaching career, your baseball career with artillery, with PRD, with ghost baseball, I got one question I like to ask everybody that gets on the podcast. And that is for those who don't know you, how would you introduce yourself? Who exactly is Pat Gironi? Oh, that's a loaded question. Well, first and foremost, I am a husband and a father to a five-year-old son named Frankie and a three-year-old daughter named Angela, who we also call Gigi. Um, so my family life, you know, in conjunction with my business life is is pretty loaded. I was an accountant. I was a teacher. Um, I've been a head varsity baseball coach for 13 years. And I began um, PRD, which was a training facility, a training type of academy. It began in 2004. We were strictly training until, until 2017. And then we uh, started our team. So I do own and operate. Um, PRD baseball, which the ghost teams and artillery fall under um, our umbrella. Okay. So let's kind of dig into, obviously, I'm assuming with you, you know, being so involved in the game of baseball, you kind of probably played it, played baseball growing up. So just kind of take us through, you know, that beginning, that uh, beginning of, you know, when you, so, you became involved within the game of baseball, you know, maybe what motivated you to become a coach after you, you quit playing, um, just to kind of take us through that a little bit. Sure. Um, baseball was pretty much ingrained in me. My father played at Miami Dade uh, Junior College down in Florida. His college roommate was actually Mickey Rivers, who played center field for New York Yankees in the late 70s, and won two World Series with them. So from a really young age, I was around the game a lot. Um, I did play all the way through. Um, I played at a Division One college named Fairleigh Dickinson University in Teaneck. So I graduated from there, um, did not get drafted and made a conscious decision that I really didn't want to go the independent baseball route. So I began work as an accountant and I was training players one-on-one um, -on -one while I was in the accounting world. That training business or training side gig became pretty large for me, really enjoyed coaching, didn't really have any coaching background up to that point but just enjoy training players and helping them improve in different areas, physically and mentally. Um, that side of my, you know, trek began to take off. And then shortly after I was a head middle school coach at Monroe Township for a few years and then became the head varsity coach there. Um, and now I moved to the private sector of the high school world and I coach Ranny School, um, is a private school in New Jersey. Currently, we are the number 39 ranked team in the nation at the high school level. Okay. So you talk about how, you know, as you started your coaching career, you really did enjoy that, you know, kind of right off the bat. 
But what was some of that tough? What was part of those toughest transitions from, you know, going from, you know, playing division one baseball to making that transition to coaching, you know, you know, expanding your, expanding your game, expanding the, uh, your knowledge to the next generation. What was some of the toughest parts of that transition? Yeah. I mean, when, when, when you start, when you transition from a player to a coach, I mean, obviously you have your preset thoughts of how things should be done based on the way that you did them. So I think a lot of young trainers tend to um, tend to project like their beliefs about what they did mechanically to get from A to B um, to be successful. And one of the big things for me, at least, to grow up as a trainer was to really research and to listen to other people that were in the field for a long time and really dive into the biomechanical piece of what does create, you know, whatever you're trying to create in that player. Like when you train somebody and you see them for the first time, I always, um, I always equate it to like a diagnosis. So you're doing an intake with a client. Now I spent 17 years in the cage as a hitting instructor. You're doing an intake and you're trying to figure out what that player, no matter what age it is, what do they do naturally well, where you don't really have to, you know, shake the boat or change that movement. And where do those movement-based patterns need work? So what do you need to focus on? And if you're not diagnosing those things as a trainer, you're kind of creating cookie cutter hitters, which is never a good thing. So you first thing you have to do is you have to do your intake, you have to do your diagnosis. And from there, you know, once you get experience in the field, you have different tools that you can use to help whatever that player needs. Okay. So, you know, you start your career as a middle school coach, you know, moved on to high school ball. What was that transition and what were, what were some of those comparisons between coaching on middle school level, you know, when your kids are what, 12 to 14 years old to, you know, that 14 to 18 mm-hmm. year old age group? Uh, what, what were some of those comparisons, some of those differences between each of those levels? Yeah. I mean, that was my first head coaching gig in middle school um, where I was eventually a varsity coach at Monroe. And honestly, it was it was a great experience because when you when you step into coaching and you haven't done it for a while, like you've never done it, there's a lot of organizational things. There's a lot of, you know, just speaking to parents and how do you get your point across to players and what kind of culture are you building and how do your practice plans look? And like th- those three or four years for me were really investigative times to figure out who I am and what do I believe in as a coach. And when I became a varsity coach at Monroe, that carried over. We had a lot of success in that program. And to be honest, like when we started PRD, a lot of those culture aspects that, you know, were ingrained as a high school coach in the program I ran carried over to the club and mainly like just kids carrying yourself with class and character on the field at all times. And you just trying to do the right thing for each individual player, like where you know, that, that, that's a tough, that's a tough concept when you're running a team is you have to try to really focus on that individual within the team setting. You can't lose sight of that. It's not all about the team when you're a coach. It's a lot about the individuals. Yeah. So you talk about how you go to Monroe, which I believe is a public school, correct? Yes. So you go from Monroe, that which is a public school there in New Jersey, to now, you know, going to coach a private school. Um, what does that look like in terms of, you know, the culture-wise of each program, uh, the competition level? Are you guys still playing the same teams? Kind of just take us through that transition a little bit as well. Yeah, the public school I coached at Monroe, I taught in that district. It was um, amongst the larger schools in New Jersey. We played a really good schedule. We had some major arms that came through, some really good players. And many of those have now resulted into coaches in our club that are younger at the 23, 24, 25 ages. So that kind of was our beginning, you know, ground for what we do now. Um, you know, the, the the public side and the private side in New Jersey, they intersect. Like some states separate private and public. You know, in New Jersey, it's not. Like it, it, the public schools are extremely competitive. There's a lot of really good players out there. And many private schools are extremely competitive as well. So like the landscape of the conferences or the teams we play are pretty similar between your large school public in New Jersey and your higher end private, Um, you know, from an execution standpoint, like, again, like I told you, I had two little kids. So I made that jump because the private school that I coach at now is only two miles from my house, right? Where the public school I was coaching at was 50 minutes from my house. So it just gives me a lot more flexibility with my kids. I'm also running a club. It just made more sense as opposed to being on the road for an hour and 40 minutes every day. 
Yeah, which is the same way Indiana does it. And here in Indiana, you know, our private schools play our public schools. Um, but if you could kind of go through maybe what are some of the biggest differences, you know, being at a public school, going being at a public, uh, sorry, being at a public school, being at a private school. Um, what's that kind of comparison there of the actual, you know, the different types of players you're coaching or just the overall um, atmosphere, culture of those programs? Yeah, I think it's actually more of a mentality. Like when you're a public school coach, like when you're playing a, a large private school or a really well-known private school, like you're getting your kids fired up and you're kind of using the reverse psychology. We're like, Hey, like these guys get kids from all over the place. You guys are from one district. You know, you got to bring it today. You got to have that town pride. You got to have that, that pride that you guys grew up in elementary school together. And we're going to go take out this like well-known private school when you play them. And then when you go on the other side as a private school, like you have to build the culture because those kids come from all different places. They're not, they don't grow up playing together. Some kids never met until they become freshmen in high school. So if you don't do a really good job setting the culture in a private school, like you can be very flat, even though you have a lot of really good talent. So like, I think on the public school side, many times you see really good chemistry amongst middle infielders. You see chemistry between pitchers and catchers on the private school side, you see a ton of talent, but the better private schools, um, are able to set that culture and create that chemistry in a shorter period of time. And to be honest with you, on the club side, something we talk about, we talk about short-term culture, okay? Um, you know, you look at all your major clubs, you look at artillery. Like what Ajay does really, really well in artillery, I'm sure we'll get into it a little later, is creating short-term culture. Like how do you take 18 kids and say half of them never met each other and they're only together for five days? How do you get those kids to gel enough to want to play with each other and for each other to be successful. So that experience building short-term culture on the club side and how do you unite a group of random kids for a five-day period that may have never met, it's kind of similar on the private school side is you have to create short-term culture in that spring season because you're not even allowed to work with these kids until mid-March in New Jersey. We're not allowed to train them as coaches. We're not allowed to be like around them. So you hit the ground running and you better be able to do that. Yeah. So you talk about mid-March is when the, the baseball season in New Jersey gets started. Um, so take us to the yep. outlook on this upcoming season. I'm assuming you are still coaching this, this spring as well, you know, beyond being with P, PRD and artillery. Um, so take us through maybe the yep. outlook on your guys' team here this upcoming spring and then maybe what's going on right now as you start prepping for that spring 2023 season. Yeah, so we won a state championship last year in New Jersey. Uh, we were 26 and five. We beat a couple nationally ranked teams on in route. Um, and we return everybody except for one starter who's now at Udell. So we, ha we have a pretty loaded squad. But again, where we play in New Jersey, I mean, there's just so much talent. There's everybody has a 90 plus arm. Like everybody has a three, four, five that can just absolutely ruin your day. Each team no matter how big or small that school is, it is it is super competitive. So our hope at the high school level, one is like we just have to stick to what we do well and we have to execute to the best of our capability. And we can't let all the preseason static and noise, you know, get in our head or feed our ego. So like currently, like PG, Perfect Game has us ranked number one in the state, 39th in the country. That's great. Like really happy for the the school and the program. It's a, it's a really nice accolade, but ultimately the only thing that matters is how you finish and where you finish. And man, baseball and when you get to these higher levels, you know, a couple hiccups can really can really derail you. So super super difficult. Really looking forward to you know coaching this group one more time before they go to college, and then we'll see what happens. Yeah. So, you know, every state in within the United States, you know, has a different schedule when it comes to, you know, when the season gets rolling. So, I mean, I'm talking to a lot of Texas people right now and they're like, yeah, we started practice in January, which for me being in Indiana, we have the same sort of type of schedule as you guys in New Jersey. You know, that's just crazy to hear. Yeah. But, you know, if you guys start in mid-March, how long does that season take? You know, how many games you guys play in? And then when does it come time for that state tournament? And how does that state tournament work there in New Jersey? A good question. Um, we have like scrimmages and practices up until April 3rd. Opening day is April 3rd. So March 13th to April 3rd is when you have to get your three weeks of like kind of preseason going. Um, in Monmouth County, where we are in New Jersey, the Monmouth County tournament is April 28th. So you're playing for your division and then you start a county tournament like less than four weeks before, like into opening day. 
right in conjunction with the end of that Monmouth County tournament begins the Shore Conference tournament, which is Monmouth and Ocean County. It's extremely competitive. Typically, you have 30, 32 teams, and you see some of the best talent in New Jersey in right behind the Monmouth County tournament. And then that tournament has the ability to run into the beginning of states. So, okay. like, yeah, you can't you can't roll with two pitchers. Like, you you have to be, you know, at least I would say at least five deep to survive, you know, kind of simultaneous tournament play. And it, it just it's like I'm telling you, it's it is the talent around here is unreal. So it is so hard to win one of those tournaments at the high school level in New Jersey. I'm, I'm sure. So you guys play regular season from April 3rd to April 28th. How many games is that? Because in Indiana, you know, we're playing 40 games in 60 days. It's something crazy like that. Yeah. For you guys, what is that like? Um, and then, you know, so you guys go from county to conference tournament to state tournament after that. So your regular season's only, you know, amongst, you know, three and a half weeks. Is the, the regular season actually runs right through all of it. So your regular season continues. It, say your regular season is April 3rd to May 22nd. Okay. Okay. Your county tournament begins in late April and can run to early May. Your short conference tournament is in like early to mid-May, can run through the beginning of states, which actually began in late May. So you'll have like everything condensed. So you might play a tournament game on a Monday and then a division rival on a Tuesday, Wednesday, and then another tournament game on a Friday and one on a Sunday, and then two more division games behind that. So you you can be playing a lot if, if, if you have a good team and you're rolling in these yeah. tournaments. Yeah, man, that, that is, that's an interesting dynamic to kind of go about it. Here in Indiana, like we mentioned, you know, we start around that same time, you know, regular season starts around last week of March, first week of April, you know, and then, you know, first week of May is the like the tournament, like conference tournament. That's all we do. We don't do county tournaments. I mean, my county has three high schools in it. Right. Um, we do that, but then we just keep rolling with the regular season after that one week. So, you know, that's kind of, you know, kind of cool the way they do it down there in New Jersey. Uh, but digging a little deeper into, you know, PRD baseball, ghost baseball, let's make that transition here a little bit. Um, so take us through, you know, where that sure. timeline is to where, you know, you start PRD baseball. And then from from what I, my research, it sounds like ghost baseball started a little bit after that. Uh, so just take us through, you know, how PRD baseball got started and when exactly that was in the timeline. Sure. So um, after I was done with college baseball and I began to be an accountant, like I told you, I started to do some lessons that grew quickly. Um, couple years into that, I was doing camps and clinics. And then I just realized that I just didn't have enough hours in the day. Like I needed other trainers under me. So um, one of our owners, Sean McCorkle, I met while I was at Monroe. I mean, eventually was my associate head coach at the high school level. He was the first guy that really, you know, took to like working with, with basically overflow with me. Like if I had clients that called to work at that time, my company was called PG Baseball. Um, you know, I would get calls and I would feed them to, Mar to, to Matt or to um, Mac. And then down the road, I met Mark Magliero and I did the same thing with him, who's one of our owners. He owns Envision Success as well. He's one of the best arm performance guys in the Northeast. So across the timeline of the training, I was fortunate enough to pick up people that believed in our overall vision as a training company. And we were a mobile training company. We would go to your facility, sublease it for like three days during the winter, pay you a lump sum and then run our training programs within the time that you allotted us with your facility. So we would basically take over a facility, like rent it out for X amount of time, build our programming, do our lessons, all that. And then we didn't, we, we weren't connected to like that yearly payment. So in 2017, late 2016, we looked around the landscape of club baseball in New Jersey. And listen, there's a lot of really good clubs and they do a good job. We just thought that the players we had and the players we were training needed a little bit more help in terms of development, not just from the baseball side, but from the character side. So at that time, club baseball has been around now for, I'd say, 15, 20 years at that point in this area. Um, and, you know, there was a stigma there when you played for certain clubs that you basically made it as a high school kid. Like you were you're going to be a Division One guy because you're on a certain team. And I knew as a high school coach. Hey, that wasn't the case because you come back to me and you'd be doing things, some things that were just not helping you be a better player. And, you know, as I dug into it deeper, we decided to start a couple of teams and we wanted to fuse the, the competitive schedule that a club can certainly offer 
right? But we also want to infuse the class character piece that we did at the high school level that we hung our hat on. So we merged those two, started PRD. At the time, it was called Peninsula River Dogs, hence PRD. And the reason it was that was the towns we were pulling from were on this peninsula in New Jersey. And it's actually referred to that in Little Silver, Fairhaven, and Rumson. Um, it was a pretty heavy you know, group from there. So we called the Peninsula River Dogs. Never thought we were on the track to do like this big club thing, right? Because that wasn't like what our DNA was. We were, we were trainers. Like we weren't club guys. Um, and then that just started to grow. So that was like 2016, 17. Um, and then from two teams, we went to four. From four teams, we went to eight. We changed our name to PRD. And that brings us to the, um, the time that we created Ghost. So like, what, what do you know, Jace, out of, out of curiosity? How much do you know about how we started Ghost and what the precedent was and things like that for the program? Okay, so from my so from my point of view, from just the, the research that I did do, um, it sounds like ghost baseball was more of the you guys traveled more in terms of you know not staying so much locally, and it was I would say I guess ghost is the A team, PRD was the B team. From that's from that's from just the research I've done. That's kind of the knowledge I have. Uh, but just kind of take us through that. That way, the listeners can kind of get to know that as well. Yeah, so so th this is something up until probably two weeks ago I really haven't spoke about since we've done it, but like like I kind of laid it out last week in a different podcast. So we had PRD, and again, like we were we were we were training a lot of the talent across the state, but again, a lot of the high high end talent still wanted to play for clubs like artillery or clubs like the the larger clubs, and totally understandable. We weren't targeting those kids when we began. We were just looking to help kids that wanted to get better in baseball. We didn't care if we had the best team around or we were just average. We just wanted to help kids, and we built teams on that precedent. Obviously, as you get more competitive, in order to keep your talent in-house and you have Division One arms, they want to play with other Division One guys, right? Like, they don't want to play with just anybody. So once we recognized that, and fortunately, our kids were young enough where they weren't just bouncing around. They were like 14 at that point, um, our oldest age we decided to start ghost and ghost the premise of ghost was like a guest program and the way we rolled it out we rolled it out very very gray on purpose like all our social media posts just had like a ghost on it it just said like coming with a date and we would reach out to players that played for other clubs and we'd say hey listen we know you're off on this week because we had all the club schedules around us we said we're starting a ghost team with the premises we're not going to post you on social media we're not going to blow up your spot and make your club all mad at you and think that you're leaving. We're not even looking to steal you or take you from your club. We're just going to make this team that plays once a season. It's a guest team. And if you decide to play with us for these four days, and that's all it's going to take, you can practice with us all year for free. Okay. So you could practice with us as long as you commit to this one week and the singular tournament. And honestly, like we run the best practices. Like that's what we hang our hat on the high school level. Going back to the high school piece, like I take a lot of pride in our practice plans and we know how to multitask and we know how to develop players within practice. So that became very attractive to the kids that committed to the ghost team who were from other major clubs in New Jersey. They started practice and they said, man, like these practices are a lot better than the practices I'm doing in my club. And we said, oh, really? No kidding. We, we had no idea. Right. But and then we said, you know what, we're going to do this again at the end of the fall. Why don't you play with Ghost again? And so we, we backed it up on the back of the summer, the back of the fall. And then what happened then was a lot of those kids, they didn't want to go back to their club because what's the end of the fall? That's a re-up season. Right. That's when all your clubs say, hey, are you coming back? So we noticed like half of our Ghost team was like, you know what, we're just going to stay put with Ghost. So we started to put a dent in some major organizations in terms of talent and retain talent to pair with the in-house talent we already had. And that kind of kick-started how we became super competitive on the regional side and even competitive on the national side, right? So that that's the premise of how Ghost began. Okay. So on the initial reach out, you guys are trying to find players to fill that roster for Ghost. Were there some, you know, players, some parents that were a little, a little hesitant um, in terms of joining sure. the program? Yeah, because like a lot of clubs, like as you know, and, and it's it's not right or wrong, some clubs will say, hey, if you guessed for anybody, you're gone. Like, we're not going to take you back. And we kind of targeted those clubs, 
because like we don't believe in ownership in club baseball. We, we don't own people, right? Like this is a service industry. So if you decide to play with us for the summer, we want you to re-up for the fall. And if you decide to go play for somebody else, that's okay. Like we're going to look into what we're doing. Why didn't this player want to stay if this is a player that we wanted to keep? So I think at the time there was just no competitive, no competition in the industry, like where nobody was threatening the larger, let's call it three or four clubs in our area with any real product. So we knew we had the product. Yes, we had parents that were terrified right, because they didn't want to get kicked out of their the clubs that were well known at that point. But as they became you know, increasingly more comfortable with us, they realized that we were not going to shrink anytime soon. And we were in it for the long haul. We weren't just in it for a year and then going to pack it up and fold. Because remember, we had internal guys. Like we, we had real guys that were 22s at that time that ended up at may it be Rutgers or Wake Forest or, you know, Duke or something of that nature. So we just had to find the, the complementary pieces to them to kickstart what we wanted to do at the higher levels. Yeah. So I take it ghost. You guys were going to, you know, tournaments in, you know, WWBA, Lake Point, uh, probably carry all those different, you know, down South tournaments for your regional team for PRD. What does that, what does that club level look like in New Jersey? Like what are some of those big time tournaments regionally? Um, are they, yep. you know, out of state in state? What does that look like for that regional level out there Northeast? Good question. So when we started our club, like PG Northeast was kind of popping up at the same time. Like when we began, they had some, they had some tournaments, like they, you know, they always do a great job and we have a great relationship with, with PG Northeast. Um, at the time it was, it was, it was a little bit more sp sparse. Like they had some tournaments, but it wasn't every weekend. It wasn't every age group. So it kind of timed up perfectly with what we were because we began with the 22 class. So when we made that ghost transition, they were only 14. So like when you deal with 14 year old kids that aren't used to playing for like an artillery, like if you ask a parent from New Jersey to go down South five times in a summer, they're going to look at you like, wait, what do you mean? Like, unless they're in that world. Right. So we didn't have kids that were actually in the national world. So what, like when we really ran with goes full time, we were playing some regional tournaments and we really leaned on perfect game because we really respected their administration up here in the Northeast. And we knew they were growing at the same rate we were growing. So we kind of collaborated together in terms of, you know, just, just needing each other. Like we put a lot of teams in their tournaments because we thought their tournaments did a great job. And then they started to grow more tournaments and they attracted more players. Um, we started to beat some of the powerhouses in the area and became one of the powerhouses. At the same time, we have a good relationship with USABL, which is a, mid-level tournament host that exists in New Jersey and they do a great job as well. So we kind of made our alliances in the tournament side in New Jersey. The New Jersey tournaments are extremely competitive. Like you have some dogs out there on the mound every weekend. Like you have kids that are just some of the best talent in the country comes from the Northeast. You know, in historically the clubs in the South have plucked a lot of the Northeast kids. And I'm sure it happens in Indiana to you guys too, is that when you looked four or five years ago, you'll see a lot of kids that played on Canes National or Dirtbags National, Five Star National, maybe TBT, Scorpions, you know, Richmond Braves at the time. So they were coming into New Jersey, New York, and just pulling a ton of talent. And we recognized that. So we said, all right, like right now, like go ahead, do that. But we needed to find ways to keep more national talent in-house, meaning in a Northeast club. And I think we've done a pretty good job of that in recent years. Yeah. So when you see, you know, Canes National, Five Star National, all these national-based teams, which I'm sure that was probably before, you know, the whole USA Prime and all those, and all those newer organizations. But when you see this happening, yeah. you know, what was your guys' strategy of trying to keep these nationally-based players who are going to play at those, you know, ACC, SEC, Power Five level? Yeah, it's a good question because like as we grew like and, and remember like in 2018 our oldest age group was 14 so that we weren't getting like a, like our kids weren't getting a ton of calls from national clubs at that point but you know fast forward two years and we became a little bit more well known we were playing more national events what happens your kids become more exposed which is a good thing because you want exposure for your players but when your kids become more exposed what do the national recruiters do they know who they are 
right? So they start to call on kids. Um, you know, I guess it was like late 2021 where our kids were getting a lot of hits. We really, again, we train at a really high level and we have nice facilities and we have really good coaches. We were fortunate where we actually did not lose anybody at that time. We didn't lose anybody with a national club, even though they had plenty of opportunity to play for some really high level top, top club organizations. That's when we began to speak to Artillery and Ajay, who I knew for a while, but I said, hey, Ajay, listen, like I don't have any interest in running a fully recruited national team like you do with kids from all these different states. Like I like building Northeast-based teams and going down to the national level and competing and potentially winning national events with Northeast-based teams. You like to recruit from all different places in the United States, right, which is awesome. Like I think we can help each other. So we came to an agreement in, um, in a form of a joint venture where basically Artillery National, Artillery Scout, should say, is our national like brand where it's a recruited brand. Everyone knows what it is. We've helped them organize. We've helped them, um, you know, kind of clean up some things that that we thought they could do better at. And we really learned a lot from like their organization in terms of how do you run a national team, right? So I think the the, the partnership that we have with Artillery has really helped shield our players from other national organizations. Like, why would you want to go play for dirtbags who do a great job, but why would you want to play for them when you can still train with us, play for artillery, and also play locally with East Coast Ghost when there's not as many national tournaments? It's like the, it's like the beauty of both worlds. So if you're a New Jersey kid that's the 60th ranked player in the country, it makes more sense to play for artillery and East Coast Ghost as opposed to just playing for a national club that might only play six tournaments that resides 800 miles from where you live. Yeah. So correct me if I'm wrong on this. So, you know, you guys create that joint venture. You said it was what, 2019? Uh, no, 2022, actually. It was, oh, it, was, oh, okay. it was 2021, like late 21, right as the 22 calendar year flipped. Okay. So correct me if I'm wrong here. This is kind of what I took from this. So during that joint venture, you know, East East Coast Ghost now becomes maybe that second team behind artillery or how exactly does that dynamic work? No, it's not, it's not really a funnel. So like, like in my view and, and you know, obviously like you're going to get kids from all over the regions, artillery and East Coast Ghost are two totally different animals that play at very similar like heights and competition. They're both national teams. For example, our 26s are ranked number seven in the country, right? Our we have, I guess, at East Coast Ghost, we have nine or 10 nationally ranked teams. Artillery, you know, all four of them are nationally ranked teams. But the vibe is a little different in both. Like what artillery is just phenomenal at is taking a kid that's going to go into the meat grinder at like an SEC school. Like, let's face it, like you're a freshman, you walk into an SEC school, you're around 40, 50 freaks that are unbelievably talented and you have to learn, like, how do you survive in that, like, awkward environment that's not, like, your typical, like, warmer type of space? Like, if you don't compete at those levels and you don't produce, you're not going to stay, yeah. right? Like, we, we all know that, right? So, like, 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 artillery is a great place for a kid in Indiana that just commits to Louisville. And he needs to break out of that comfort zone that he might be in where his team has two Division One commits and a bunch of other kids that he's way better than, and he knows he's way better than that, what's going to happen? That kid's going to get complacent, right? So like artillery is so such a great learning experience because if you fall on your face with artillery as a 17-year-old kid, you learn how not to fall on your face as a 19-year-old kid when you go to a UVA or you go to a Tennessee, right? So East Coast Ghost, on the other hand, has now formulated into, we have mostly Division One commits, on our East Coast Coast team are kids that are uncommitted that will be division one commits. So we're a mix of committed kids with kids that we believe will be division one committed kids that need exposure. So they push each other as well. But artillery is really more built at the older ages for all committed kids that need to learn how to survive at the like early stages of the college development. 
okay. when they get to their when they get to their university. Okay, so with, with East Coast Ghost and Artillery, you know, both playing at that highest level, you know, is there a little bit of competition wise? When it, obviously you guys are still underneath that same umbrella, but is there some sort of competition wise when it comes to you know maybe attracting some of the same types of players? No, because we don't we don't like we don't cannibalize each other in recruiting, right? So like most of our players are homegrown. Like we have ads. We have kids that we have we have ads of arms that call us and want to play for East Coast Ghosts or things of that nature. But many of our players have been with us for a very long time since they're 11, 12, 13 years old. So we we bring them up through our system like at East Coast Ghosts at like 10 and 11. We're playing national events. Right. So like we play a full perfect game schedule at, you know, say 14 and they play three or four nationals just like any other major national club would do. So we see how kids do. We see where they belong as they become 16, 17. Um, we don't really fight over players and we help each other. So like I coached the 25 artillery team last summer and fall. Um, Ajay obviously coached it as well. Ajay jumps into East Coast Ghost games and helps us coach. Like when we go to Hoover, for example, there's two East Coast Ghost teams. There's two artillery teams. I'll be coaching one of the artillery teams. Ajay will be helping with artillery and East Coast Ghost the assistants will help with both. So like we really do a really nice job at like fusing that culture between East Coast Ghost and artillery. So there aren't any like pull or, you know, hard feelings either way, because both teams, honestly, both teams are just really good. You can't go wrong either way. So you mentioned how you and Ajay are kind of irreversible where, you know, you'll go ahead, you'll coach with artillery, but also coach East Coast Ghost. Ajay will do the same thing. But, you know, when you guys had that joint venture, you know, started in 2022, um, you became the director of operations there with artillery. So with that, what are some of those job duties that you have with artillery along with East Coast Ghost? Yeah. So the first thing was to assess like how artillery does business and where they can be more efficient. So I, you know, with my background, I, I'm a business guy as well. And as an ex-accountant, like I'm, I'm pretty organized in terms of the, of the backside of things. So part of my role was to alleviate some of the unnecessary, you know, annoyances that Ajay may have had, may it be collecting money or posting rosters or communication or things of that nature. And then we wanted to look into some of the practices of, hey, how does artillery build these teams? What does that look like? Can we be, can we help in any way? So basically as director of baseball operations, like I oversee some of the things that artillery does, but make no mistake about it, like Ajay is literally the best recruiter in the United States, right? So like nobody can replace Ajay in terms of recruiting. And I always say that Ajay would be an amazing MLB agent. He'd be an amazing recruiting director for a college because he, he he's very likable and he certainly is um, really understands how to talk to people and totally different type of people. So I let Ajay run with that. If I need to get on the phone, I'm pretty good talking to parents and laying things out and things of that nature. So like I can assist in the recruiting side with Ajay, but he's definitely the engine in terms of um, getting those teams together and like cold calling on players that that artillery wants. Yeah, because I, I actually I had a phone call with him probably about two weeks ago. Um, and he was, you know, talking about his plans for, you know, the Great Lakes team or his yeah. overall teams, you know, heading to artillery. He sent me the roster. And I'm just like, yeah. like, I mean, you have guys from Indiana, Tennessee, I mean, all, all over the place. And I'm just like, man, yeah. this is like crazy. And, you know, obviously I've interviewed, you know, Cameron Tilly, who's from Indiana, but goes out to play with yep. you guys when you guys are based out in New Jersey. So, you know, it, it is a cool thing to see. Uh, but you talk about short term culture a little a little while back you know you kind of established that with your private school I'm assuming you had to do, deal with that at first when ghost baseball dealt with you know guest players and you say Ajay does a great job with that when you have players who will come in play one tournament a, a summer with you guys how do you establish short-term culture what does that kind of look like how do you kind of go about it yeah all tournament club baseball to me need short-term culture because like either way, you have to turn the page weekend to weekend. Like if you play a tournament in mid-June and you don't play again until early July, you need to reestablish culture when the kids get back together. Because on the national stage, you're not practicing two, three times a week like you can on the regional stage. So like one thing that artillery, and, and this is one thing that really, really sat really well with me is when I went into this with Ajay, I didn't realize the type of culture and the positive culture that he sets with artillery. And yes, it's different. And it looks a lot different than the rest of the, the industry and how like the, the main players go about their business. But for right or wrong, 
right? What Ajay does is that culture he sets is a very relaxed, but very intense culture at the same time where he knows how to let kids let, you know, let their hair down a little bit, have fun, enjoy who they are and promote to be who they are. But he also does a really good job reining them in when as any major kid can do or any baseball player at 15 or 16, they might say something that's out of line or they might do something that doesn't promote positive, you know, um, sportsmanship. Ajay does a really good job. He doesn't get enough credit for it. He does a great job reining kids in, but he does it in a different way. He doesn't scream across the field and embarrass a kid. When he does that, he takes that kid over on the side and says, listen, like, this is why you don't want to do that. Like, you don't know who's in the stands. What if the kid, the coach you're committed to is in the stands and doesn't like that? How are you going to answer that question? So Ajay is a really good culture builder. He always has been. It's why Arsenal National, when he was there well before artillery, it's why they became who they were. And they had this certain intensity about them. Artillery has the same intensity. Like they're, they're just, they're, they never stop. They feel like they're the underdog. They feel like they have something to prove, even though they're not the number one team in the country at 25 still gets on the field and acts like they're the underdog. And that's just not something that's natural. That's something that's learned behavior and something set by the culture itself. So digging into East Coast Ghost here a little bit, I know you said, you know, if you're digging into the differences between East Coast Ghost and Artillery, Artillery has a lot of guys, you know, who are already committed. You want them to yep. kind of get punched in the mouth, to kind of get ready for, you know, FNC, ACC baseball. For East Coast Ghost, you guys have a little bit of younger guys who some are committed, some are, you know, uncommitted at that point, but have that potential to commit to a Power 5 school. What type of role do you play in that recruiting process for some of these younger kids that are currently looking out for whatever school they're going to be playing for in the future. Yep. So East Coast Ghost is like nine U through 18 U. Um, we have 1,100 players. So the difference between artillery is artillery has four teams. We have such a large pool that when you have numbers like that, kids are going to trend to be national level players. Some kids are going to trend to be low D1 guys. Some kids are going to trend to be D2, D3, or even the lowest form of D3 baseball. What I do is I help all of our kids, even on the artillery side. I help all of our kids connect with colleges that make sense for them, right? So like from a recruiting process, um, like I have, I have advisors and people that, you know, start to navigate our college advising branch and help kids get their thoughts together. But when push comes to shove and the kid's in that recruiting window, when they're ready to be exposed to a certain level of college baseball and that kid's ready to commit to that level of college baseball, that's really where I come in and I make that connection between the college, the coach, I feel out. You know, the schools, their top 10 schools who has a need at shortstop, for example, in the 25 class, I have this kid that fits these metrics that I think would be a good fit for you. And then ultimately, like, that's kind of how we help get our kids off the board. The last two years at East Coast Ghost, we've got 92% of our players that graduate with us to the college level, right? And we had a couple that just decided they didn't want to play. So, like, we're very efficient and we take pride in landing our Division three commit. That's the art is the low, the small D1, the D2, D3 guy, like landing a lefty arm at 6'3 that throws 94, like that's cool and that's awesome. But there's a lot of schools that want that kid, right? And know who he is. So like, I really take pride in helping the kid that's a really good baseball player that might be overlooked, get an opportunity at a level that makes sense for him. Okay. So at this point with East Coast Ghost, you said you have 1,100 players. At this point, what type of, I guess, recruiting strategy you, do you have in terms of getting guys to East Coast Ghost? Or for the most part, has the name kind of made up for itself and you guys have just, you know, a bunch of players kind of head in your direction to begin with? Yeah, so like Ghost is, is, is kind of the brand that we use. And we have, we have five different sectors. We have a sector in South Jersey, one in um, Newtown, Pennsylvania, one in Lehigh Valley, Pennsylvania, one in North Jersey. And we just went to joint venture with Richmond County RCBC Baseball, which one of the most legendary clubs. They're out of Staten Island in the Northeast. Um, great people. So what I do with Ghost is we just try to set the brand and set the tone of what we are about. Like, this is who we are. This is what we believe in. Our process is different. Like, you don't come to a tryout at Ghost and know that you're on the top team, the second team, or the third team until we reevaluate your kid in like February. And that's what we're doing right now. So you have to commit to us at an age group and live with the idea that you might not be on our top team because it's our belief that you should be placing players based on what makes sense for them physically, not for their ego. 
And like what we do over time is we pay attention, we evaluate during the year and we help kids get to where they want to get. And ultimately it's okay to be on a great organization's second team. It's okay to be on a great organization's fourth team. We get some kids that were on our fourth team at 16U play college baseball by the time, you know, their 17U age runs around. So like, you just got to set the stage for each one of your teams and each one of your players. And that's really what we're about. We're really about trying to help that individual, even though we build that team culture that we're really well known for. Yeah. So with this many people within your organization, how tough was that before you guys built your facility, which I believe, what was that just this within this past year, how tough right. was that, you know, finding places, you know, to hold these tryouts, hold these practices, and then even beyond that, you know, what went into this facility building and the decision-making process to, you know, build this PRD facility? Yeah, we're super conservative. <clears throat> um, so we didn't, oh, we could have opened the facility a few years ago. We decided not to. We found the right space. We decided this was the time to do it. Field-wise, like we have a lot of positive relationships where we have plenty of field space. Um, but like from the growth perspective, Central Jersey Ghost is where we started. That's like the Tinton Falls, Monmouth County area. We have 400 players there. That's the, the program that Sean McCorkle is the president of operations. So I told you was with me for the last 17 years, basically. Right. So like that, if you want to consider that our parent area, all the other sectors were clubs that were that were with somebody else or named something else. And what we do is we only go in business with people that we believe in. Right. So we found relationships that we thought made sense far enough away from our hub that we could also cast a broader net to get players in. And, and fortunately for us, like our brand has carried really well and our directors in those sectors, for the most part, have done a great job, you know, kind of just forwarding who we are as an organization. But we do do some things where we send free Zooms out to everybody. Like everybody gets a free Zoom every couple of weeks about maybe the recruiting process or understanding how to get from A to B to C as this or whatever that topic is. So like it's important when you're running a large org, in my opinion, to make sure that everybody, you know everybody, you just don't know your national team. Like it's important, you should know, you know, a 13 year old on your fourth team that might hit 11th, you still need to know who that kid is because that kid deserves your attention the same way as the kid that throws 93 at 17 that's going to like Wake Forest. Yeah. So that kind of leads into my next question here. So with you, you know, being in charge of all these different players, you, know, you mentioned 1,100 players, artillery has four teams, which even adds even more and onto that. What are some of the relationships you have with some of these ball players? You know, how do you sustain that having so many people that you kind of have to know? Um, I assume, I mean, your contact list has to be huge um, at that point in your phone, so many different names, but just yeah. what are some of those relationships you have with some of those players? I mean, it's all about structure, Jace, right? Like I'm, like I'm labeled as the CEO of PRD Baseball Academy. I'm the majority owner. We brought in other owners like Sean McCorkle, Mark Maglero, the guys I noted, they're minority owners. We have two guys that, our advisors and part owners. One was the ex-CFO of Vonage Telecom, and one was, you know, like a very, very higher up at Goldman Sachs, right? We've, we've taken our time to build a corporate structure, and then we built a structure underneath where each sector has a director. Each age group that we run has a director. So if you're a parent, the first thing you do is you go to your coach. The second thing you do is you go to your age group director. The third thing you do is you go to your sector director. And then it would go to me. So it's not like I'm not fielding calls by design. I'm not fielding calls all day about why did Johnny only play three innings at shortstop and Mikey played, you know, four innings at shortstop. That's not fair. Mikey's better than Johnny or whatever. Like, that's not my role. Like, my role is to oversee the entire brand, find where we lack efficiency and where we can do things better and where we need to adjust. So my day to day, I work in office 60, 70 hours a day. I do things like this for you for brand recognition and to understand, you know, like on the social media side, like I want people to understand who we are, right? Secondly, like my job is really to poke holes at what we do as an organization and try to be the best version of who we can be day to day, week to week and month to month. Okay, so I got two more questions here for you. And we've talked sure. about, you know, we've talked about the past, you know, you coaching high school ball, PRD baseball, ghost baseball and how that's led into artillery as well. Let's dig into the future here a little bit. 
So, you know, what are your expectations, some of your goals heading into 2023? And then here, I'll just add on the second question. You know, what is your vision, you know, go heading into these next, you know, three, four, five years for PRD baseball and your role with artillery as well? Yeah, so, I mean, I think we're really set up well in 2023. This this is set up to be our best year, most successful year that we've ever had in our organization. Um, I think the talent pool is exceptional on the go side. I look at the rosters, I'm like, man, like the third team is going to be potentially able to win regionals at the perfect game level in the Northeast. Like that's unheard of, right? So our depth is phenomenal. I think that our corporate structure is really so much better than it's ever been. And artillery is ready now to take the next step, which could be a growth step for them looking at 2024. So our overall goal is you have to maintain the things you do well first. Like you can't just grow irresponsibly and let your core things or core core pieces go to shambles. So we're very focused. We've been very focused the last six months on what have we built and how do we get that to have the most concrete foundation. Once we feel like we are iron tight and we're really, really good in every facet, we are going to look to continue our expansion with joint ventures. Um, May that be deeper into Pennsylvania. May that be into upstate New York and Connecticut. May that be down into Maryland and Delaware. So we are going to continue to grow as a brand and as an organization in various ways. Okay. All right. So one last question here to end it off, you know, maybe dig a little bit deeper here. So, you know, we're looking at motivations. What is it that, you know, just motivates you to, you know, get up, get out of bed every morning, you know, continuously change the lives of these ball players, continuously grow the brand of East Coast Ghost, grow the brand of artillery. Um, just deep down, like what are some of those internal motivations that you have? I mean, you know, like, again, like we started our club because we thought that there was there was a lacking piece of the industry, like at least in our area. And I, I, you know, may that be the class character piece, may that be the development piece, whatever. Like my motivation personally is when I wake up in the morning, I get to the office, like I want to make our brand and our organization the best form of itself. And I'm very competitive. Like anyone that knows me in the high school ranks, the reason I probably still coach high school baseball is I'm super competitive. Like most athletes, you need to compete. If you're not competing, you're dying. Right. So for me, like this is such a competitive industry and it's a fun industry. There's no bad blood, at least on my side with other club owners. Like I think they do a good job in what they do. I just think we do a better job and we're not going to sleep. Like we're going to, we're going to be, we're going to work right through that night. When you're sleeping for five or six hours in your bed, we're working and we're plotting on how we become, become even a higher level. So there's absolutely no chance that you can catch us. And if you are a couple steps ahead of us, heads up because we're coming. Yeah. All right. That's, you know, that that's motivated me. Shoot. You know, I got to grow the, the JKR brand a little bit more just from that motivational speech you just gave me. But, uh, but no, that is the final question here on the JKR podcast. You know, I, I'm, you know, super excited to learn about, you know, PRD baseball, East coast ghost artillery baseball, especially, you know, I have Ajay coming on tomorrow, learn a little bit more about, you know, Arsenal, his career there, how he built artillery, you know, just great program that I followed now for a little bit. You know, I was pumped that Ajay reached out, pumped to get you on the show. Just super thankful for you coming on, you know, giving me this hour, hour and a half or so. I um, mean, best of luck this year in 2023 and beyond. And you, as you guys, you know, continue to not sleep, continue to build that brand. Um, Just, just thank you so much for coming on the JKR podcast. Thanks a lot, Jason. I really appreciate your time, man. Awesome. All right, man. You have a great day. Thanks for coming on. Thank you.